Possession crucial from this. How much longer will the referee allow? Dublin lead by a point. And there's the whistle. It's over. It's over. We earned it by winning the last two matches on the road, and that's not going to be taken away from us. What I love in Hurland, I love players that will never give in. He hits it. He hits it. It's over the bar. Hello, welcome to the ITGA podcast, Mikey Stafford, Rory O'Neill with you, and uh, as there's only two games this weekend, they're both in Ulster, we've brought in the Ulster Mafia in Niall McCoy and Enda McGinley. How are you doing, gentlemen? Pretty good, Mike. Good. Good stuff, that's good stuff. Yeah, look, we'll get on to having a look at Fermanagh, Derry and uh, Monaghan Tyrone uh, shortly, but there's a couple of notable departures, Rory, in the GA world. Um, John Costello is retiring from Dublin GA uh, later this year. He's been there since 1994, Rory. You get less for murder. Yeah, it's an incredible length of service to have given. I think he'd be a huge loss to Dublin GA, and I think it'd be a huge loss to the GA in a much broader sense. I think his contribution. I won't miss his annual reports. I thought they were great. I mean, if you know John, like, and I, I would have gotten to know him quite well now over. Like I'm nearly 10 years a chair of a Dublin GA club, so I've gotten to know him, you know, through that role more than anything else. And um, he's been a great support to us and on on our journey and give us great guidance along the way. He's, you know, an expert on GA politics. Uh, uh, to see him in action, actually, at County Board Conventions, at County Board meetings was a sight to behold, just the way he could command a room, the level of authority that he had, uh, his annual reports I do I used to look forward to them because there was a bit of divilment and a bit of mischief in him as well he's a fantastic sense of humor a really funny fella and um, I think like if you look back at Dublin GA when he took over and I think sometimes I know the glory was there with football and that is uh, uh, that'll be the shining part of his life see along with obviously the constructions that might eventually happen with the spa well in Hollystown which he was able to commercialize Dublin to a certain extent to try and get that type of funding up and running because obviously you, nobody needs to be told how difficult and how expensive property is in the Dublin area so to try and secure lands of that magnitude and to try and have the financial muscle to deal with all of that is just you know he's leaving Dublin football and hurling and I think in such a such a much better place but I think that would be one of the big things I would say in that yeah, he presided over an unheralded period of success for Dublin GEA. Six All-Ireland football titles in a row, like, you know, completely transformed the football landscape and created arguably the greatest team that's ever been. But I think if you probably asked him in a private sense, I think it is his success in hurling that he would nearly be most proud of. If you go back to 1994, Dublin hurling was a joke, an mm. absolute joke. Dublin hurling would have been considered... You know, you're going down the ranks like you're not even Joe McDonough. You're probably mm. talking Christy Ring level. That's how that's how much of a farce Dublin Dublin hurling was. It just was not taken seriously. And people might say, "Oh yeah, well, you know, look, they're not exactly winning all Ireland's." But to get to to get any county from that level up to where Dublin is actually considered a proper hurling county now and a proper dual county. I think that's another thing that people tend to forget as well. Like the difficulties in running a county. It's very easy to run a county when you're only concentrating on one sport. Mm. Get Dublin into it. And he, he, it was to push both coats equally and to give that charter the due respect that it deserves. 
And to watch how the programme of games in Dublin GA is run week on week, hurling football, hurling football, hurling football, every single year, super programme of games run very effectively by another absolute legend of Dublin GA, John McNicholas, who I'd imagine is coming, you know, to the end of his time as well. And I'd say that would be a big worry for Dublin GA because to see two men of that stature walk out to, you know, um, mm. set sail after giving such unbelievable service will be big shoes to fill. But from Costello's perspective, nothing but the utmost respect and for, for the man and all you could do is wish him well. Yeah, the CEO model end is kind of catching on a bit now, isn't it? You can see county boards feeling a need to be kind of more professional like you know they're gone from the the full-time secretary who was kind of a admin job to now like nearly all county boards are looking to get somebody who is more kind of oh i hate the word but i suppose kind of visionary someone who's kind of going to plan for the future rather than just making sure the bills are paid which is kind of what the, the poor secretary was was there for for time and memoriam yeah and probably business savvy as well being able to have that strategic vision to sort of be able to bring people with you towards a bigger future and be able to fund the thing. Uh, county board certainly money-wise, it's a large business at the minute. But in terms of in, in, in terms of Costello, I was texting Rory last night as a troll man. I am delighted to see him go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I would hire him in the morning if, if, if yeah. we could. Uh, I, I I know it's a sort of a national pastime to take umbrage, but his annual report was a great chance. For me to take umbrage every year <laughs> he said. one thing he always done it, and i don't know maybe rory you'll know better maybe it was tongue-in-cheek maybe not but it was. when he was being chided about the multi 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 millions that <laughs> he was he had access to that the rest of the country didn't he usually says look it's not dublin's fault it's up to the rest of the country to get their house in order but like when you look at say for drone and we're a big county we simply don't have that corporate wealth within the county for us to go and tap into never mind the likes of your Leithrams of this world and all the other counties and for him to stand on his pile of cash at the tower <laughs> and use other little people usually to get your own house yeah. in order work harder poor people it really did rankle but he defended Dublin to the hilt he defended Croke Park being not a home venue to the hilt so there was plenty of development there yeah. but a shrewd man and he ran Dublin well, and it was a huge part in their success, the appointments of Gilroy, the appointments of Gab, and all of that. Yeah, uh, yeah very, very impressive. Uh, I would like to borrow some of his development, <laughs> and that says yeah. it all. I know, he was, he, 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 as look, he's, he was he, powered by self-interest in that Dublin GA was what he was looking after. And now, with that annual report, every year someone will raise, say to me and say, oh, do we want to do something on John Costello's annual report? I'm like, no, I really don't. I really don't. And then someone will say, but, but read this paragraph. Like that. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. guy, all right, yeah, we better do yeah. something then. That's good, actually. He's got me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it is. It is yeah. very funny. Like, I mean, I just think that I, I, the, the other thing as well is he, he did have quite his tentacles stretched further than what people sometimes realize. I mean, he would have been very um, instrumental in John Horne's election to president. I think he might have even been his campaign manager. And to be fair to John Horne. I'm surprised. Yeah, 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 right. I might have been because John Horne, I think, got elected on the first count and just absolutely hosed his way through. And um, I think to be fair to John Horne, like John Horne's presidency, I think in time will be looked back upon as being a very effective one. He was there when COVID began, obviously, and that would have been difficult times, but also the introduction of a second tier competition. So like his influence 
uh, second tier competition in football that is and his influence you know stretches further and the respect I think that people would have in an administrative sense from Costello up and down the country would be immense now. Like it would be, he'd be so highly well respected and well regarded as much as the GA administrator can be. And he was, um, he was some piece of work in fairness to him. He was fantastic, fantastic at his job. Uh, Niall, the other significant departure this week is um, Tipperary hurling referee, Fergal Horgan, mm. who has, um, said that he's he's stepping down from the intercounty panel due to a, a lack of appointments he's got, which at first you think, oh, okay, right. You know, mm-hmm. it's no, you don't want to be doing all those fitness tests and all that training if you're not, you're not getting the big gigs. Uh, of the last three All-Irelands, he's done two. He yeah. didn't do the All-Ireland final last year, but he did one of the semi-finals. So you kind of wonder whether there's another reason for this, because as far as in terms of appointments, he seems to be doing all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah you would wonder, Mikey, because you're reading the story and you <clears throat> naturally the list of big games he's done recently, you're sort of scratching your head a wee bit. And it seems quite short-termism, like he is very definite that there's no coming back. Uh, so over a couple of weeks, over a couple of National League games, not getting any assignment, that just doesn't seem to fit. Um, I think his point more about referees feeling quite isolated is probably the main takeaway from me. Um, it's as high profile as the come in the game, yet he felt that he hadn't that support network there. And it's a wider problem, obviously, with referees. And I'm sure if you ask most referees at that level, it'd probably see a similar. So it's hard to know. Like, we don't, we don't know the support structures that are in place for referees or, or how what the communication channels are like. But if someone as high profile is coming out and speaking out against it so strongly, it's probably worth taking notice of. So something maybe for the Jade to look at. Like, you know, I say it, it would have been a shock by it because they've lost one of their top men. Like, yeah. yeah. Regardless of what he's saying about appointments or not, and I would imagine, unless something has happened we don't know about, I'd imagine he would have been earmarked for some big games this summer or over the championship season, over the spring and the summer. Absolutely. And like Rory, I suppose I, I looked at the, the Facebook comments on the story after we posted it and it was like like you know, it was just unanimously people saying, We're sorry you're going. I suppose he's kind of seen as kind of the maybe the the successor to the Barry Kelly, Brian Gavin line of re- hurling referees who uh Aren't his whistle ignored, happy. ignored rules. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but then he's also following in the fine tradition of James McGrath, who also went down swinging when he use was me lose me. <laughs> yeah, use yeah. me or lose me. So, let's be honest. And and uh, I'll ask you this because it, it it it's as it's as relevant to football referees as hurling referees. You do have to have a bit of an ego and a bit of a kind of a cocksure attitude to be a referee, don't you? And even when they're resigning, it seems they kind of like to. They like to take a few down with them as they go. It's elite, it's elite level too. Sorry. Yeah, well, we all know, I suppose, any referee, that you don't want them to be centre of attention, but there is that wee thing. They have to enjoy that sense of authority and uh, the control they have on the pitch and sometimes they behave that way. But the likes of Horgan, obviously, having reached the top, isn't too afflicted with that way in terms of letting it affect his refereeing style and making himself the centre of attention. He was obviously highly capable, but... Uh, that point about support is interesting by by Niall. I think that's valid. We put huge pressure on referees. Uh, I don't think we pay them enough in terms of games. I think I'd love to ask a wee bit more of them or give them a chance to review footage. I, I think the whole pressure that's coming on, particularly maybe on the football side, in terms of calling head injuries or calling fining of injury. I, I hate all this head injury stuff, but there's to put the responsibility 
goalie and referees to cut that out in real time is just an impossibility. Like to make that call is is I think impossible. Because if, if you get that wrong, and uh, you could end up looking like a uh, you could end up. Being like just looking like somebody who's effectively, you know, not giving due credence to player welfare, and that's well, a really absolutely. tricky your, your, situation. Your primary responsibility as a referee is the is the safety of the players on the pitch. So the, the head injury shout that we is that's endemic in the game. You go to a club game, and uh, because they brought in the rule several years ago that they don't allow stoppages of play for injury and everybody now shouts head injury <laughs> the game stopped and it's, but anyway I'm, I'm getting sidetracked but I'd love to see the refs given the opportunity that they sit down with their team afterwards and get to review a game on video and then and this is at county level uh, and then submit the report and that report then is 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 untouchable essentially it's it's there because it's based on the video evidence and they've sat down after in the cool event and reviewed everything and cited anything that they haven't felt they dealt with at the time. Yeah. Uh, but again, that's extra hours of the day. And I was speaking to a referee that does some county football. They, they, they simply are, are paid buttons. Yeah. Very, very little. I think we need to put in more support around them, pay them a wee bit better, and then ask them a wee bit more in terms of the level that, that they're given because there is falling short mm. on that end but we're we're demanding more and more in terms of their performance level but mm. we're not exactly supporting them to get there and we've had barry kelly on here before Rory, and he's kind of mm. said that he said he'd, he'd like he would he would kind of welcome the opportunity to kind of you know kind of come out afterwards and maybe kind of give an explanation i think or kind of you know give some kind of not not every every time but if like some kind of a dialogue i don't think would be unhelpful i think i remember him saying it one time yeah when i was over i was uh producer for the Sunday game live for the last couple of years and I had the ref link uh, so I could hear I could hear Fergal Horgan actually I had Fergal Horgan for one of those All-Ireland finals so it was very instructive it was they fantastic. did two of the last three you know exactly so um so you could hear exactly what was being said on the field and his interaction his reasoning behind the decisions the authority that he had in particularly him anyway um a lot of them have their very different styles uh, he'd be very vocal and would would be one for constantly talking and explaining decisions to players and as we know was a key component and certainly a key uh, uh one of these lads who let the game flow was one of these fellas that obviously implied that tactic in a hurling sense which is kind of i think you know and i think this goes back now it's a totally different discussion but it does go back to your Brian Gavins of this world, uh, where the euphemism, again, for letting the game flow is effectively ignoring the rule book. And that's where hurling has kind of gone. And there's no point in whinging about it now. I see some people whinging about the state of hurling. But anyway, look, that's not a discussion for, to hear, for today. But I think from Fergal Horgan's point of view, yeah, it was a strange, it was a strange decision. I mean, I do think you have to have a certain level of ego to survive and to actually get to that any elite level, whether it's refereeing or playing. And I think uh, there's an you have there's you have, there's an incumbency upon everybody when they are competing, and they are competing because they're competing with other referees to try and keep that in check to a degree, especially as a referee. As, yeah, sorry, as yeah, says, like if it's if it's based on the the lack of game time in the national league, I'm, I'm talking game time, like a player. But if, yeah. if you've got a really solid, experienced player that you know is going to turn up in the championship, mm -hmm. then in the national league is the time to get the other referees 
blooded yeah. up and get up to that level, you yeah. know that he's okay. And you're right. obviously happy exactly. with him. You've given him yeah. huge games. But yeah. And they do have a not particularly a deep pool of uh, hurling talent mm. in a refereeing context. So I suppose from the people that make these appointments in terms of trying to flesh that pool out, I think what they may... If it's just looking at it from the outside, I'm sure they'll have their reasoning, but they probably use the National Leagues as an opportunity to try and put some depth, no different to a manager managing yeah. his players. So I don't know. I just think maybe we, he, you know, he might have been a little rash. Um, I'm sure when we got to Munster finals and All Ireland semi finals and All Ireland finals, Fergal Hoggins' name would have been right up there in the mix for all of the big appointments. Ah, no, not, if, not if Tipperary are making it all the way, Roy. Right, we'll move on to the matches. Um, for Manaderi, Brewster Park, 5 pm. Uh, ended to, to to my eternal shame. I can't say I've ever been to Brewster Park, but it doesn't seem to me like the most hospitable place to go and play football. Would that be a fair thing so, to say? Cozy ground. Oh, <laughs> I have have been there. Refused to play in it once actually because it was that frozen solid for a mechanic. And <laughs> <laughs> just with my history of injuries, I just said to Mickey, "No, I'm really not." Hey. <laughs> So no, it's it's a nice wee ground. It's mm. a good size of a county ground. They've redone the pitch. So from Anna were in Erne mm. during the National League, which is definitely going more country. Uh, and that benefited them well, funny in the National League in terms of their home record. Uh, but they're back tennis skill now, new pitch, new pitch surface. Uh, so it'll be in great condition, lovely stand there good atmosphere and a good day it's it's a really really good ground but it's compact and i think it'll suit fermanagh i think fermanagh will be looking to keep this game pretty tight the word attritional could be used in multiple <laughs> ways mm-hmm. for this game very likely uh but fermanagh are usually strong at home they are a team a wee bit unlike the second fixture that will look at drone and in healy park oh is that a benefit or not to drone mm-hmm. but certainly brewster park is definitely a benefit to fermanagh yeah, uh, Niall, I suppose the big news is that we don't have it confirmed yet, but all the mood music out of Derry is that Conor Gass isn't going to be fit. Wow. Yeah, uh, Rory Gallagher's trying to say it different, but I suppose we'll not really know until throwing, I guess. Um, if anyone could recover in time, you'd get the impression it's Conor Glass. But, yeah. um, well, well, even if you look at the league final, like you know, the, they were completely open. I know the game took on a different sort of life at that stage, like, but when he went off, they were completely open and he. His positional sense and, and different things like that, you know, I was watching him, I went and watched Glenn a few times and just watching him play and he mightn't look spectacular, but the work he gets through is just phenomenal. Like, and he does the same for Derry. And I always remember his first game back from Derry after uh, the AFL and as they played Armagh and Celtic Park and there's no crowd, obviously it was right in the COVID, but a few media in and I remember Rory Gallagher barking at him and he barked right back at Rory and says, oh, you'll not be doing that for long. You'll soon learn. <laughs> he's just now, he's just integral. Uh, so he would be a, a massive loss. Um, we can assume Kieran McFall is not going to be up to uh, fitness levels to feature, you wouldn't think. So it leaves Brendan Rogers out there alongside, I don't know, Cassie or someone probably come out to the middle or something like that if he's not fit. But it just, it just gives Fermanagh a chink of light because... Rogers and, and Glass is probably the hottest midfield partnership in Ireland right now. Um, people can maybe argue that different teams and Trone have a pretty good one and Dublin have a pretty good one. Like, but I think uh, if you're picking one now, you you'd be you wouldn't go far past Derry. So I don't know. I don't know if I, I think he could still feature, to be honest, Mikey. Just the, the sort of things Rory was saying there during the week, it just sort of get the impression 
he'll definitely not be out. Like I think we might even see him on the bench or or play some part, which would be huge. But I, I think this is a game um, which just shows the progress Derry have made in eighteen months. Because while Ann is right, uh, Brewster is a is a real advantage, even if they haven't played there this year yet. It just looks to me almost like a banker. And you go back, you know, two seasons ago, these teams were in the same division. <laughs> Over the last five years, Shimana have operated at a higher division than Derry in the leagues. Um, they're a really good team. They have a great lead coach in Kieran Donny there, who's got them playing good football. Alton Kem, we spoke about many times in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Dar McGurn, a real physical presence uh, in attack now. What Sean Quayley can bring off the bench. Even boys like Ryan Lyons are, are so important to them. But I just like watching Derry this year, they just look like... They can swat teams aside with minimum of fuss, and I do think they'll probably do the same. I think they'll be six or seven point winners when all said and done. Mm-hmm. Rory, this is a game that Derry kind of need. It's interesting that um, Enda says you know it's a compact enough pitch, which which will which will kind of suit for Mana. I kind of think Derry, after what happened in Crow Park the last day, probably wouldn't mind getting back to what feels like a smaller pitch too, because we do all have this sense that. Croke Park, they're not a Croke Park team, which can can mean many different things. But to me, it just means that the way they play, like they try to make the pitch as small as possible for the opposition when the opposition have the ball, which is hard to do in Croke Park. So, I I suppose it'll be interesting to see how they approach this game. Are they gonna? Are they as I think uh, the assistant manager said during the week? Are they just going? They just want to win Ulster, and that's all they're thinking now. Or will they be using the Ulster Championship to try and tweak things so that when they do get back to headquarters, they're maybe a little bit better equipped for it? Yeah, I think they'll feel like they will want to defend the, the Ulster title and want to put in a reasonably stern defence. And they have, they didn't, was it was it 25 years since they'd won an Ulster Championship, Niall? Last year, when they won it last year, I think when they won it last year, were we going back to 1998? 98, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 98, since the, you know, a big proud county like Derry. So I would imagine they will want to put in a pretty good defense of it. And that that obviously starts on Saturday. And um, Conor Glassman injured. Do we know? Like, I couldn't find it last night. Chrissy McCaig and Owen McAvoy, I presume they're fit and ready to roll. They're meant to be fit. Yeah, I think mm. McKeague's ankle was a precautionary thing, McVay. Well, so so Gallagher's saying, whether it yeah. is or not, but yeah. the only one who's definitely ruled out, I think, is Ashley McWilliams, I think. Yeah, so, like, uh, if, 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 if you have the likes of McKeague and McAvoy coming in, then that's going to spell a certain amount of trouble for the likes of McGurn. I don't know whether Alton Kelm will play on the wing or potentially in the corner. They might shuffle, they might shift him out a little bit to try and kind of free him up, mm-hmm. especially if they try and pair him off. Wouldn't necessarily see Chrissy McKay picking him up. But he'd probably drift further out the field. But I think from Derry's perspective, they given how flat they were in the National League final, um, they've it's, it's a nice run-in to a championship match uh, two weeks sometimes is nearly ideal especially when you're coming off a defeat uh, and you've got a week to sort of maybe process and now a week to build up again and as long as all their injuries clear up I think they should go into that game as favourites but look you know it's yeah, the, I think Niall's point is a, is a really key one. You had two teams operating at a similar level for quite a long time. Derry seemed to have gone to another level since and potentially that might be the difference on Saturday. Yeah, Rory Gallagher, he he tried to kind of shake it off after the game, the the, the scoreline ended, but a manager like Rory Gallagher conceding four goals, like that'll, that'll have kept him awake at night. So to get McCaig and McAvoy back 
it seems even more so than you could say glass almost from a defensive point of view is crucial because their full back line has been like a bear pit for the last couple of years and it wasn't the last day and I know McAvoy is new but he slotted in there brilliantly but Chrissy McKay we all know what Chrissy McKay is he's possibly the best man marker in the country and if he's not there you know who ties up the marquee forward on the other team so also the, back the, is huge they've had to move Brenton Rogers out again going back to mm. the, suppose the, the thinness of the dairy panel which I think was exposed against Dublin they've moved Brenton Rogers out because Emmett Bradley's away this year who was playing midfield so yes Owen McAvoy has come in great but it means your options are thinner again on, on the ground. Oshin McWilliams, who is one of their main subs to come in, if he's out, if Connor Glass is out, you're you're looking at a really, really stretched team. That, you know, he obviously made a big shout about the under-20 championship because he's four or five under-20s on the panel, and that's only on a panel of, what, 27 he's carrying? And if two or three of them are down, does he have a full 26, actually, to name a panel? You know, it's, it's phenomenally tight margins that he's doing. And he doesn't have huge experience. Like if the likes of Lachlan Murray starts, which you would imagine he will if, if those other men are missing. Uh, I, I think actually Kieran McFall, if he's home in any fitness, I, I think he could well see game time. Uh, he, he is an excellent player whenever he's fully fit and fully at it. Uh, he's, a, he's a player out of a lot of time for now. And I think he will make an impact on that team and give them that wee bit of added depth or, or options to move things around. But they they are stretched. Do they have enough to get over for Mana? They probably will. But they don't like playing teams that keep it really compact and keep it really simple. A la Louth in, in the league obviously has been thrown up several times against them. Uh, and I think for Mana... Fermanagh are on a bit of a crest of a wave. They they are delighted with where they have come to through the National League. Now, some of the results, they were, they, they were fortuitous enough. But that is a very, very happy Fermanagh camp. And they love playing the underdog. They love, they love seeing uh, Derry come in with all the hype and that that's around them. I don't think Gallagher will read too much into the, the Croke Park thing. I think he'll... He'll note the openness. He'll be a wee bit annoyed that it's give credence to people saying about the thin panel because he lost a couple of people and then they were they were particularly open after that. Whenever they get behind in a game, they definitely struggle to deal with that, particularly at that key moment in the second half of their three, four down, and then suddenly they have to come out and address the game. I think that that's a tough situation for them to be. Will Fermanagh get to that point? It's it's tough to see it, to be honest. I think it'll be more of an arm wrestle. Uh, but you would still imagine that Derry have too much yeah um okay is any uh anybody not saying a dairy win here i think we're all we're all saying dairy win yeah dairy okay. by three or four all right we'll get on to the second and final uh senior inter-county championship match which is a point in itself last weekend we started with a bit of a splash on that many games manageable six seven eight games maybe uh next weekend we've 17 matches between football and hurling so this week we're just going to ease in with the two uh, now, there is Joe McDonough and there's lower league hurling matches, I I, I admit, but in terms of Sam McGuire, Liam McCarthy, two matches, both in Ulster. Um, and, good watch, and, 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 and what you're going to see now as well, um, Mikey, over the coming weeks, because straight away, right, like it, it'll be quiet this week because everyone will get to see all the football that they need to see. But next week, there'll be a rake of games that people won't be able to see. And the whinging will start then and the giving out about RTE and why can't we see this and why can't we see that? I mean, 17 matches, like, 
you know there's still only four broadcasting slots you know? four <laughs> yeah. o'clock six o'clock on a saturday and it's straight like you can see it you can see it coming on the track now a mile off the whinging and moaning will start again and this is all because and another thing actually just one other point and i'd be very interested again in everybody's views on this and i've seen it written there recently and it's not an unreasonable point about the standard and the quality of the football that we've seen thus far i thought martin brehany was making the point in his independent piece to be fair to him i wouldn't necessarily disagree but one thing that i think he didn't mention at all we're playing winter football i mean the conditions last weekend were appalling like i mean i was coming home from work the other night i was doing a women's international football match it was minus two in the car coming home it lashed rain all day yesterday. Now, I think potentially the weather this weekend is meant to improve. But what do people expect in the wintertime when you play your championships at this time of the year? Like, there's a reason these guys that came up with this thing called the Gaelic Athletic Association planted the shop window in the middle of the summer. You know, there was yeah. a reason behind that. Yeah, there is. Uh, and we do like championship starts. We have like the nice romantic idea of... Uh, well, for a certain age group, it's the ice cream van. For another age group, it's a nice pint bottle with a pint glass of ice outside the pub before you make your way to the stadium. There weren't we didn't mean to any the ice cream vans weren't making too much money last weekend. So it is it is, it does take something away, not to sound too traditionalist and romantic, but it does take something away when for the spectators, never mind the players, when the championship started in like well it was freakish kind of wintry conditions last last weekend, but for April, but it was still wintry, it wasn't remotely summerish and it, that does no, have an impact on the teams it's bleak it, it was very bleak the, just the, the driving wind and rain uh, and the poor cameramen that are tired <laughs> to cover it uh, so yeah it's not good like the other thing that has to be factored in we are seeing more football than we ever seen like if you rewind the clock 20 years ago thank the lord that there was not cameras around all the various national league yeah. games and all the the this the small sort of provincial championship games. the suspensions you lads would have picked up you didn't you would have played about two games a year <laughs> oh, just, it was horrific type of stuff mm. uh you know and, and we got to see like so much of the highlights reels is based on a learning semi-finals and a learning finals you know, we're we're all looking back at the the golden years and based on the iconic key moments, we don't see all the hours and hours of football and the analysis and the podcast and everything else that's now into the game. So we are we are killing ourselves by trying to break down absolutely everything and expecting every game to be brilliant. You look at the Premiership, it goes all over the world as this phenomenal thing. If you watched every single, you'll have one or two really good games any weekend. The, the rest aren't really and then you'll have your couple of iconic games during a season and the rest are a shade of grey are are we that dissimilar now tactically the game is reverting back to defensive football i think that debate is going to grow and grow during the summer we've been having it for years and uh, and i think that's a really interesting point as well because it was like i mean the reality here, right, I, 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 and I suppose it's a frustration for people that like Gaelic football and lovers of it and watch it and really enjoy it and like, you know, like to see it played with a slightly bit more, with a, with a, with a little bit more adventure and a small bit more, you know. A, Everybody like, does. Every yeah, manager, okay. every like, player. But, but, but the reality with modern inter-county championships, certainly this championship, this year, it's going to take four defeats for you to be evicted from it. You'll have to be beaten four times before you're eventually turfed out of a championship. So to my mind, 
the, the pressure valve that was associated with the straight knockout championships or certainly where you got one back door and you only had mm. one, like the necessity then to try and play that ultra defensive stuff. Coaches have tried to play attacking football, they've tried, and then eventually they're charged with naivety. You yeah. go back to Kevin McStay, Roscommon and Armagh, they had a phenomenal game of football several years ago. Just all out, I was down at it. Pardon it me? was attacking end to end. It was phenomenal. Hmm. Both teams now are playing. Yeah. You know, it it is, and that is not, I would maintain every manager and every player, given the choice, absolutely. We will play, we'll play natural, good old-fashioned, more attacking Gaelic football. The problem is all of them managers and players also know when you come up against a sort of defensive tactic team, that that is the tactics that wins at the minute. Yeah. Dublin are doing it, Kerry are doing it, anybody that thinks that you drop behind the ball until the rule changes in the game, that is the tactic that works. So in terms of trying different things out, why you you have to be really good at what way you're going to play it. Now there's 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 shade, there's shades of intensity in terms of how much people are dropping back. Are they giving up kickouts? So there's 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 variances within that. But the broad tactic in the game is for the vast majority of players that you fall behind the ball whenever you're out of possession and you become more and more and more compact and then you look to break out. Do you keep one player, two players up the pitch, maybe three? Do you do a press and a kick out? Those are variables. But every team is doing it because that is the way to play football at the minute as the rules allow it. Unless the rules for me and the, the mark, the forward mark, I hit the thing, I, I, I never could see how it was going to change it because if the forward mark was a success, if lots and lots of teams were using the forward mark, how do you cut it out? Well, you, you make sure there's no space in your defence for a long kick pass in, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. So, Or else the teams get really good at the wee clever 20-yard marks that nobody likes anyway and, and getting cheap free kicks, essentially. Uh, and that's what we're seeing. Mayo were getting very good at that during the league. And, like, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, as you say. Like, they're not gaming the system. They're playing to the rules of the game, but it doesn't make for particularly attractive football. But it's not. I imagine that the people that brought in the forward mark, the, the arc sort of traditionalists, they were, imagine the glory days of a 70-yard hoofed ball in and a six-foot-three... They had Michael Murphy and Kieran Donaghy in their the heads. The yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I just... I don't think it has fundamentally changed the game at all. I think the benefit is still, the safety is still there in numbers, and then you break out. Okay. Mm-hmm. We better get on. Sorry, time is against us. Yeah, sure. he, he just doesn't want to preview to Rome playing at home. <laughs> no, and is trying to stall him to preview this game. Speaking of he... defensive football, Rome yeah. v Monaghan. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and next to Healy Park for a free-flowing game of football. But funny um, enough, I don't know if Tyrone are playing that defensive. I think Tyrone probably blueprinted an early version of defensive football. Well, I think Tyrone. Well, okay, you could, you could, you can educate me on that one. In fairness, Enda, right? But I actually, I, I was watching a good bit of him now over the last couple of days, and I think Tyrone are slightly more adventurous than people think. I think they have, they had a couple of personnel issues in terms of team selection. Colin McShane seems to have lost his place. Like I know, I don't know whether it's an injury. He hasn't appeared on even a twenty-six for the last couple of games. But funnily enough, I actually think there's a better balance to their attack. And they they definitely still haven't decided on who their number six is. Is that essential for them? Well, it is to a certain extent. Like they had, they tried Cormac Munro, then they've tried um, Niall, Niall, 
Uh, tried pretty hard for a while. Yeah, Frank Burns as well. But, but, but I thought, but I thought Ronan McNamee coming in there did a really good job the last day, and him coming back has really offered a huge amount of solidity, I think, to that Tyrone defence. Another thing for Tyrone for me, which was Kerry. I think there's just, if you look at how many times Tyrone used Kerry as a springboard to sort of reignite seasons or to sort of bring out the best in Tyrone, I think they had sort of flipped and flopped their way through the early stages of the league. But I think we got a really good glimpse at the real Tyrone the day Kerry travelled up to Healy Park. And I think they've gone from strength to strength since then. And relegating Armagh in the process, I would imagine, you know, was quite yeah. was quite the feather in the cap to finish out and bookend the league from their point of view. But um, I think there, there's there's something brewing in Tyrone. Well, it's certainly Niall. It's I'll come to the Tyrone man in a minute. Niall, it's certainly a lot less bleak looking than it was in the first few rounds of the league um, when Tyrone really did seem to be a little bit lost, having had their customary poor defence of an All-Ireland title people probably thought were expecting a bit more early on but as, as Roy says results have bounced back and one of their good results was you know putting I think four goals past Monaghan in the league in, in Conus um, uh, sorry two goals they scored 250-13 and um, Niall but the thing here is like you know season those football watchers Tyrone do tend to beat Monaghan in the championship. That's kind of what happens, isn't it? Not always, but most yeah. of the time. Paranda and the boys used to bully Monaghan, used to break their hearts all the time. Uh, or Banty hasn't forgiven them. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think Roy's right there. They're mixing up a wee bit. Um, they'll throw Kilpatrick or Candy into, into the square and maybe go long. Uh, that's another and... really interesting one. The way Kilpatrick and Kennedy are drifting into yeah. the square and just I... popping up out of nowhere as well. It's a... I think the establishment of uh, by and obviously knows our Joe Goozer gives them that sort of comfort blanket where they can do that and feel that if it doesn't come off, they still have that safety net there that they can try it. And I suppose they're, they're trying to vary it up. And you need that going into the championship season, as you say. Like after coming out of Castle Bar, it's like finally, finally, are we seeing Tyrone, uh, you know, take a couple of steps back and then decide to carry jersey and it just takes out the best and Matty Donnelly and. Petey Hart and boys like that. And all of a sudden, people are talking about Trona as a bit of a dark horse. I think the more interesting thing for me, rather than the match, is the prestige of the Ulster Championship this year. Um, mm-hmm. It's still talked about, everyone keeps saying Ulster football is the one provincial championship. But I think within the province, I don't know what Enda thinks. For me, it has lost a touch of a sparkle over the last couple of years. I thought Derry did reignite it a bit last year. But, you know, a couple of things to consider here. Whatever happens, whoever loses this match, they're both going to enter the All-Ireland stage at the or championship at the exact same stage. And the other thing, the plum draw, the worst thing for an Ulster team in the Sam Maguire race this year is... Get, lose, another, get, the, Ulster te- get the Ulster champions. Get, lo- no, lose an Ulster final, Rory. Because oh, if you lose right. an Ulster final, you, as far as I know, you'll be in a group with either most likely Sligo, New York, and Limerick and Clare. So whoever's coming out of those two matches are teams you would like to draw in your round-robin group. But if you lose the provincial final, assuming they do not beat uh, Gawler as common or Kerry, which I think we can give them is very, very likely. So you're in that seeding group, that part two. That part two's group's going to probably be the weakest group of the four. So uh, Peter Canavan, I think, spoke about it on the Sunday game the other day, about, or the other week, about how the seeding groups need to be tweaked, and I couldn't agree more because... If you ask me now with Armagh and Norma man, obviously, would I rather lose an Ulster semi-final or a final? 
No one wants to lose a final, of course. I'd rather go out in the semi-final because it would benefit our man, the All-Ireland race. Uh, you know, the more chance of getting the better All-Ireland round robin group. So I, I, I don't think it'll play in that much. I think the fact that Mayo and Common went at it really, really hard last week sort of laid any fears that teams may be looking at that. But we're still talking about Mayo having maybe it might work out for the best of them losing that match. So I think if Monaghan lose this or Trone lose this, I think people are going to say, right, well, okay, they've got six weeks now to go and you know, recover, get set off and, and sort of just seep into the background and come again. So I, I just think the provincials have been weakened a bit and I include Ulster in that. Like, as I say, I don't know if any agrees, but I, I, I do think it's lost a bit of a sparkle for what would be a match I would have years ago got really excited about. Oh, yeah. Just sort of like, whatever happens, it's not going to have that big much of an impact. Uh, yeah, I think you're, you're completely relying on the fact that boys still hit losing. Yeah, uh, and, and that, hate each and other. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that'll that'll drive on a certain amount. The the key thing for any team now will be the impact of the loss in the championship will be as much as you allow it to be. Mm. That, that's it. If you decide that it's nothing, and you can look at Cork uh, against Clare. Sorry to bring it up again, mm. but a <laughs> uh, that impact on Cork. It's up to Cork how much how much that they're still going to be in the Ireland Championship because they finished nice and high in, in Division Two. Uh, so it's up to them Re regroup go at it again don't let it afflict too soon and the same for Mon and Throne so the nature of how you get beat and the nature of how you go out and the nature of how the team handles that and then builds for the next thing their ambition for the next thing in terms of Monaghan in terms of this game Monaghan you mentioned at the start Throne have always beat Monaghan Monaghan under Maliki Rourke turned over Throne a few times within mm. within Ulster but Throne always beat them in Croke Park. If this game was in Croke Park, I'd be very confident of a Trone win. If it was in Clonus, I'd probably be happy enough because Trone love playing in Clonus. <laughs> it. yeah. yeah. We've all played in it so much over the years, it's like a home venue to us. But Healy Park on a wintry enough weekend, it's it's not a particular advantage, to be honest. I think the two teams are, are pretty even. Uh, so, But again, does either team lose massively? By, by going out at this stage I, I don't think so uh, but I still think given just that basic competitive nature I think it'll be a competitive game Monaghan for me are Roscommon are Monaghan if you know what I mean mm. I think well capable of provincial success and everybody knows that everybody respects the work that goes on small numbers yada 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 but people just don't see them making the big inroads of winning a big match in Croke Park come semi-final stage a, or quarterfinal stage against one of the big big hitters. They have not downed a big gun in Group Park in summer. Uh, neither team, and until they do, they're going to be these provincial ones that can nip people absolutely, put people out. Would it surprise you at all for Monon to be true? No. Uh, but they they have to build a name for those bigger things then come the summer. Yeah. Uh, Niall, how do you see it see it going? As you say, Tyrone are are building. They have a recent win over Monaghan, but Monaghan will be. A bit like a few teams kind of came out of the league with a real kind of bounce, and none. And this is what Manon do every year, but it's a bit the bounce is a bit closer to the championship this year than usual. Like they they could only be buoyed by the way that they stayed up. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of you know that, that that league match, Throne got their goals at good times, and mm. uh, I think Monaghan up with 13. I think Jack McCarn got a black card, and then uh, it was a Killian Lavelle, Killian Lavelle, yeah. card and got overturned. Um, how do you see it going? Yeah, I think the fact that Throne are unbeaten at Healy this year is massive for them because it has been a bit of a stumbling block and has been an issue. Uh, we all remember Conrad Manis's point 
from the sideline a couple of years ago up at Healy to, you know, see Le Monaghan win. So just on McManus, like it feels like he's played a couple of minutes this year and he's their second highest score. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's mad. Like uh, Bannigan's got more, who I think is just an absolutely brilliant player. Probably hasn't come to national attention just yet, but he's... Oh, a, he's coming. Oh, uh, he's quality. a really, really enjoyable player. Um, I just I just can't see a way of Monaghan winning. I don't think there's going to be any big gap. I just think Throne will have enough. I think their older players, Hamsey's found a bit of form again. Donnelly seems re-inspired by that carry match. Petey Hart's playing good stuff. Rony McNamee's come back in, kicked a lovely point against our Derek, Derek Canavan. I think Derek Canavan is going, I think this fella's going to be special, lads. I, like, I, no, like, that's not exactly uh, predicting the no, lab it's, numbers, but... It's, it's like, like getting in a he, seems, he seems to be really finding his feet at intercounty football. I mean, it, it, it probably took a year because he was so young, I suppose, and uh, would that be fair? Yeah, he's, he's he, and he still is young, but he certainly took time to, I think, feel that he belonged and taken ownership. I think what we've seen at times during the National League is you can see him feeling this, this is my team. This is, you know, that he's very much one of them and he's responsible to the others and a big, a key part of whatever the team can do the boys need him and I think he's he's standing up and now embracing that type of ownership. The the end sort of thing against Kerry was was brilliant. Like it just so summed him up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's a he's a provider and he's a finisher really, isn't he, Ender? Which is a rare enough thing to get now in Gaelic football where you have a guy who's excels at both. Yeah, and he's he's just got that wee bit of magic, that wee bit of feet work that he can create the wee chinks in the armor that suddenly then releases the, the coil of a blanket defence and, and gets a move going or as you say he, he he can finish himself so no he he can be happy that he's got a good league campaign under his belt now he'll he'll want to push on and for the championship Throne for me I think they're still hit and miss I'm, I don't know what Throne I'm going to be facing coming out here the last time I watched a championship match in Oma with Throne it was Derry and it was abysmal last year now obviously Throne were in the absolute rut last year but did they barely scored or did they score in the first half? It it was it was just desperate stuff picks. from from Trone last year. Uh, so you'd hope for more from them. But I, I think they're still missing a, a consistency at the minute. They're still looking those big spark games. Uh, but the season's still young. And can they build something? I, I think a good, credible performance. I think this is a perfect test for them. Monaghan carry lots of threat up front. Uh, hardy defenders that are going to be tough to get away with. This is going to be hard fought, and it'll be a good measure of where Trone are at at the okay. minute. Okay. With, in, with... in a word, who wins it, Enda? <laughs> we'll go Trone. Hey, that's it. Patriotism. Uh, Niall, yourself? Yeah, yeah, I can't see past Trone. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Monaghan will make it tight. They need to keep their discipline. Red cards, I think, uh, are going to be key, Is particularly this year, given the suspensions could affect if you get beaten, you're into the suspension will carry into obviously your Sam Maguire round Robin and you don't want to serve it at that level. So irregardless of what happens, I think it'll be important for Monaghan to keep 15 players on the field and make it competitive. But I think, uh, I think Tyrone are, you know, I think Tyrone are coming. Uh, I think they have a renewed sense of spirit about them. And uh, there's just, so much quality in their attack and I think they will win a tight one 
okay, well, I'm romantic here, so I'm going to go for Man. And I think they're going to be convinced that the league is still on and they actually need to win this match to stay in Division 1. They're going to bring that league mindset to the championship. That's what they need. Okay, thank you very much, guys. Enjoyed that. Um, you can follow all the matches on Saturday and Sunday Sport on RT Radio 1 and on the RT website and the RT News app with our live blogs, etc. Uh, the first match for Manaderi is on BBC Northern Ireland and the Manon, sorry, the Tyrone Manon game is on RT2 and the RT player. And the Sunday game will be back, as always, at Sunday evening at half nine. So thank you, Niall. Thank you, Enda. Thank you, Rory. And we'll chat to you again on Monday. Good luck. Goodbye. by winning the last two matches on the road and that's not going to be taken away from us. But what I love in Hurland, I love players that will never give in. He hits it, he hits it, it's over the ball!